You're listening to Done by Law. Brought to you by the Federation of Community Legal Centres. Uh, good evening. You're listening to Done by Law on 855 AM 3CR. Tonight in the studio, your hosts are Philippa and Greg. It's our first show back for 2018. We've both had a little while off. Um, so, yeah, back after the summer break. Um, hi, Greg. How are you going? Good. Um, hopefully everyone's enjoyed their break as well. Um, but... Uh, to today's topic, for those of you who may have been living under a rock for the past month, uh, Melbourne is in the grips of a crime wave, the culprits, African gangs. The crisis has become so bad that Melbournians can no longer safely eat out at restaurants without becoming victims of these violent youths. Or well, that is what segments of the media and certain politicians would have you believe. Since the start of summer, media coverage about so-called African gangs has reached fever pitch. This rhetoric is being fuelled by politicians, including government ministers. The Prime Minister, Malcolm Turnbull himself, has said he is alarmed by, quote, growing gang violence and lawlessness in Victoria, end quote. Home Affairs Minister Peter Dutton, who has been particularly vocal and being responsible for the now infamous restaurant comments, amongst others, as well as, well as decrying the criminal, uh, Victorian criminal justice system and the judiciary in particular as soft. And the response? Victoria Police has rejected the idea of an African gang crisis and while acknowledging there are victims who have been affected by crimes, call suggestions Victorians are unsafe as complete and utter garbage. Premier Daniel Andrews has also criticised the commentary, calling it unproductive and usually based on ignorance and a misunderstanding, end quote. African community leaders have warned of the harm this rhetoric causes to their community, including increased discrimination and racial vilification. With conflicting narratives, the question uh, that needs to be asked is where does the truth lie? Well, there's a lot in it, Greg. So we've got tonight um, Sajja uh, joining us. She is from the peer advocacy team. Um, so we're speaking with Sajja Yakub. She's a peer advocate from the Police Accountability Project. Um, the project is a specialist human rights focused project located within the Flemington and Kensington Community Legal Centre. Over the years, um, Done by Law has interviewed the police accountability team at Flemken regarding their leading human rights work and law reform, primarily in relation to racial profiling, legal challenges um, and law reform. Um, in recent years, to complement that leading legal work, the Police Accountability Project has established what's called the Peer Advocacy Team, and the team actively reaches out and supports young people who have been impacted by discriminatory and unlawful police contact and abuse. The Peer Advocates are a group of excellent young people who volunteer their time and are supported and trained by the Police Accountability Project to reach out to young people and speak out on the way the police are dealing with these issues. So thank you so much for joining us, Sajja. Are you there online on the phone? Hi. <laughs> yes, I'm here. Oh, good. Success. I always get a bit nervous about the whole <laughs> phone hookup, but we're there. Thanks again for joining us. Now, I don't no have worries. a specific intro about you, but I must admit I did do a little bit of social media media or, or internet stalking, and it looks like are you in your fifth year of arts law? 
I am, it, yes. And it's said that you're doing a lot of social justice work. So that's fantastic to hear and um, wonderful that somebody like you is volunteering to do such important work in the community as well. So just to start with, as Greg's intros sort of outline, this mm-hmm. is a huge issue that's sort of blown up again um, mm-hmm. over Christmas, over those couple of weeks. And mm-hmm. really, where is what's being described as a crisis? Where does it that's come right. from? Yeah, so that's a very good question. I'm um, sorry, I missed your name. I'm Philippa. <laughs> Philippa. Okay, lovely. Philippa and Greg. Um, thank you for having me, first of all. Um, it's an issue that is growing, and so it, it is super important that we do talk about this and discuss it in the context of research and facts and not um, hysteric and manic uh, words that are being used at the moment um, for mostly, mainly political reasons. So a subset of media are very much going ballistic about the recent crimes in Victoria. You know, the, an Airbnb trash um, at a party in Werribee, there was mayhem in St Kilda, the assault of a police officer, um, and, you know, vandalised um, local youth in a community park in Tarnie. And these particular incidents, which have very different dynamics and very different causal factors are receiving national media attention um, and breathless, repetitive commentary when similar incidents involving young Caucasian people are not. And it does um, really, you know, knock on the door as why is that happening? Um, So these are not the only crimes that have occurred over the December in Melbourne and nor are they the worst, but they have received um, extraordinary attention. So they've got full spectrum coverage, multiple stories and follow-up articles and the idea that African and ethnic youth are driving a massive crime raid has just grown exponentially since March 2016. So this goes back effectively two years now. And that was when the tabloid media, when state opposition, far-right and anti-immigration groups um, had a short way of describing it. So um, just to confirm, can you guys hear me clearly? Yeah, no, you sound great. That's okay, great. Um, so, yeah, if we go back to the late night Mumbai event, um, and that was when a group of teenagers rampaged through that, um, and there was a, a story came out of a youth gang called Apex. I'm mm. sure we remember that. Mm. So that fitted perfectly with these long-held fears of ethnic gangs bringing mayhem and fear into our city, and I say that in quotation marks. Yeah. Um, so when, you know, proposed incident police reports came out, it completely contradicted that gang narrative uh, but it didn't matter for the media and so this um uh, this threat had risen and it was african youth gangs apex became a literal code word and we had mainstream politicians that were using it because they didn't want to sound racist by saying african crime gang so they were saying apex media coverage um since then largely fitted any story involving people of african appearance that were involved in crime into this particular frame um, and uh, people did, you know, debate um, its versatility, but the association between crime and young people of African, and this is particularly Sudanese people, became firmly established. That was two years ago. Now, the latest set of incidents are very much connected by this larger frame, and it's provided um, sections of our media, especially during the slow um, summer news period, with a much bigger story than just an out-of-control party or an assault with a police officer. So the story about these African youth as a whole um, and about how the police are responding and what the police minister is saying and whose fault it is, it's not. It's no longer become a crime story. It's very much become a political story. It's interesting. And, um, oh, sorry, I'll just um, interrupt you there if that's okay. Yeah, sure. it, I was thinking about that idea of whether or not 
it has come about as a result of a sort of a slow news type of um, week or so because I, yeah. me personally, I was offline. I was down a river literally for 10 days over the Christmas break and I came yeah. back to civilization and thought, will I look at the papers or not? And I did. Mm-hmm. And all mm-hmm. I could sort of see from my initial trawling of the papers in terms of what had happened in the past years was mm-hmm. these stories and I was thought to myself, what's you know new here? How come this has blown up again? And mm-hmm. was quite perplexed about it. And sort of mm-hmm. as I f- looked further and further into it, I really couldn't see a, a lot in it. So really, exactly. what does the evidence say? What is the evidence base? And what do the statistics say? Is there an increase in um, African youth-specific crime being committed? Um, yes, that's a very good question. So the evidence is so clear. Uh, there's been research and um, like if we particularly look at um, you know Victoria's crime rates at the moment they have actually reduced so I can say there is no African youth crime wave so Victoria does not have a youth crime wave ethnic or not actually um, so the number of young people um, that are committing crimes has actually gone down the portion of incidents committed by alleged offenders under the age of 25 which is classified as youth, it's fallen from half of all incidents recorded in 2007, which was like 10 years ago, um, to 40% of all incidents now in 2016. So it, it, like the statistics are saying that it has very much reduced. And Victoria actually has the lowest rate of children, so 10 to 17, under justice supervision on an average day in Australia. The evidence shows that migrant youth, newly arrived migrants, are not involved in criminal activity with less than 10% being born um, overseas. So it's mainly um, the main offenders, the vast majority of offenders in Victoria are actually Australia-born and they're older than 25. They make up around 67% um, of offenders and a very relatively small percentage was compromised of youth offenders. So only 10%. So, um, so yeah. Why would you say, and I think you were leading to this before when you're saying it's turned from a crime reporting story to perhaps a political story? How, yeah. why are media outlets not leading with those statistics and that evidence based, which clearly says that youth crime is declining? Yeah, well, that's a, it's a very good question. I think it's on all our lips. And it's mainly because racism is always functional. So the reporting, the commentary, the amplifying of social media of African crime, it serves a set of very specific services for a range of groups and political purposes in Victoria right now. And ratcheting up fear of crime drives support for very, you know, punitive criminal justice policies. And it allows for more conservative parties to paint a more progressive policies as soft. And um, it very much is in the interest of the far right, the new Nazis and the white nationalist groups in Victoria, who at the moment are gleefully sharing and magnifying each and every crime report that, you know, focuses towards um, ethnic ethnic people. And it feeds the anti-immigration rhetoric. They ensure blame is firmly faced at the feet of the left, of multi um, multiculturalism, of political correctness. Well, it seems like, from what you've just explained, that clearly a portion of the population is benefiting from this, but uh, it seems like the real victims here are those within the African community. Um, I I suppose my question is, what impact does this type of commentary have on those people within that community? Um, You, as part of your work as a peer peer advocate, you you work with people in the community who experience discrimination. Um, Do you feel like this type of... Uh, media commentary feeds into those feelings of disempowerment, those feelings of discrimination? Oh, yeah, definitely. 
Lee Gregg, yeah. Um, hands down. I can say that without blinking an eyelid. So, like, this misguided, inaccurate public association between ethnicity and crime, it is leading directly to increasing forms of discrimination, and that is then um, manifested into employment discrimination, uh, and that affects people's livelihood and their general living. Mm-hmm. It has well-established psychological harms and social included, include exclusion impacts upon the communities itself. Um, and the worst thing is it can also, and it has also resulted in criminalisation, which is where it's a process where young people of colour um, and, you know, even like people of different religions, they're perceived to be and they're treated as if they're criminals mm. and they end up likely to become one. Um, and this often happens by police, teachers, social workers in different communities. Um, when you look at the statistics, there was um, a 2016 annual um, mapping social cohesion survey by the Scallon Foundation. Mm. They found that 27% of people from non-English speaking backgrounds reported an experience of discrimination the past year. And that out of that cohort, 31% experienced discrimination reporting in about once a month or most weeks in the year. So it's not something that happens once to them. It's, it's constant. Mm. And they have to deal with that at a psychological level, at an employment level, um, you know, just at a personal level as well. Yeah, that's, that's an incredible statistic. Um, yeah. And, and it, the evidence that you quote, um, it reminds me of, uh, I guess, something that I was reading last night, um, apparently Channel 7 received some backlash um, for giving uh, the leader of the white supremacist group United Patriots a platform to express his thoughts on this so-called mm-hmm. gang crisis, this mm-hmm. being someone who's being convicted under Victoria's racial vilification laws. That's um, right. And it, it raised a question in my mind, mm-hmm. what res- what's the responsibility of the media when it comes to this kind of reportage? Um, clearly ah. there was a backlash here. What do you think media outlets should be asking themselves? The the thing about the media, Greg, is that uh, we like to, I guess, assume that they are um, neutral, but the very reality is that they are not. So the media has biases and it is shaped by and very much shapes public opinion. Um, They tend to follow a particular script and they will be, like, studies have shown that they have a tendency to cover crimes where a suspect is black and a victim is white. So there is a very large amount of unconscious bias when it comes to journalists and media. So if they actively fight unconscious bias by reaching out to people within the community that have been affected by it, that, you know, are educated in that in that area and genuinely know how to fight it and stop it and, you know, I guess spread neutral media coverage, then if they have those clear intentions, then they should really fight for that. But unfortunately, what's driving the media at the moment is um, basically uh, creating a distortion in the public perception of crime and ensuring that a lot of political motives are being met through this very uh, emotional story, I would say. Yeah. And speaking of politics, um, mm-hmm. certain politicians, um, and I'll, I'll use his name again, Peter Dutton, um, in mm-hmm. particular, <laughs> has been coming out claiming that um, civil libertarian judges have mm-hmm. led to a soft on crime approach. Um, mm-hmm. And the opposition attorney general, John Pasuda, has also said that Victoria's justice system is a basket case that's attracting national attention. Mm-hmm. Um, certain organisations like the Law Institute of Victoria have said that mm-hmm. this is an extremely concerning trend. Um, I mean, do you have any thoughts about this type of commentary as well? I mean, this isn't directed directly at the uh, African community. It's being mm-hmm. directed here um, at the, the courts, at the justice system. Um, what, mm-hmm. what impact do you think that this is having? Um, well, 
I think that that's a very good question. And I guess it does take ethnicity out of the question um, directly, but indirectly it's very much fueled by ethnicity. So there are a lot of crimes out there that are happening um, with my Caucasian people, a lot of incidents that have happened that have a lot worse than the past few in the summer um, that don't get these questions asked. So the mere fact that these that now we're questioning justice system because apparently the you know we have an African crime wave happening, it, mm. it does you know place that question as to how much is this really motivated by ethnicity. Um, in terms of you know I guess the toughness as they say of the criminal justice system, that's that's rather I guess. Um, a simplified version of it. So the the criminal justice system definitely does require a bit more, I guess, um, education, I would say, or training with different types of crimes mm-hmm. and the way that it, um, you know, focuses on particular types of crime. Um, the fact of hardening up, I think, is just uh, a very far-fetched and a big assumption uh, because we're not trying to get people uh, out of, you know, uh, crime particularly, it seems like we're trying to reform them, you know, where we're trying to get them back into society. So to have that stance that criminals will always be criminals and we need to harden up and lock him up harder, mm. it just, uh, it doesn't really, I guess, pose a narrative where we're a society that's trying to help our weakest. Yeah. And, and do you think, I mean, working with people within, I mean, we're talking here about the African community, working with yeah. people within that community, do you think yeah. these, um, this rhetoric about um, courts being soft or police needing to get tougher impacts mm. on their perception of the justice system? Do you think that mm. it's Most having certainly. this effect of them thinking, oh, well, the judge is going to be really tough on me because oh, yeah. um, the media says that they need to be? Um, yeah. Do you get that kind of a, a, a sense? Definitely, and we hear that from people that are affected by this every day. Um, and that's not just with um, African youth. That comes from Muslims as well, from people of Arab appearance, uh, because the media has just, so effectively uh, created the stereotype of them. You know, you, you have to understand that unconscious bias, that it seeps through and it travels through different narratives. Mm. And, you know, judges, lawyers, they're no exception to that. So it definitely um, really does reduce the space um, that young people of different ethnicities and religions have in the justice system because it makes them feel disadvantaged already. So for them, it's not guilty until proven, sorry, it's not innocent until proven guilty. Mm. For them, they carry the burden of being guilty until proven innocent because the media does effectively place them in that basket. Mm. All right, on that point, we're going to have to go for a quick break. There's so much more we've got to discuss, so we're just going to have a quick song now. Um, If you've just joined us, you're listening to 855am Undone by Law, and we're speaking with Sajda, who is from the Police Accountability Project at Flemington Kensington Legal, and she's talking to us about the recent um, news, what are we going to call it? News crisis. I'll call it the news (laughs) crisis about the so-called African gangs crisis. So we'll just go to a break now. Okay, and we're back, and sorry about that. That was a short version of a song because we've still got to talk to so much more to our guest, Sajda. Yes, hi. Uh, hi, you're, you're there. Thank you. Um, so you're listening to 3CR, 855am. Um, so now we're back from the break, and we wanted to talk to you maybe a little bit more about some, hopefully some positive things that have come out of this, if there's been anything at all. And I was wondering what your opinion is on the um, hashtag African Gangs that's um, been a recent thing in the last week or so? Yeah. Do you think it's been positive? um, (laughs) Not at all, no. Um, In terms of the hashtag Afghans, as in, like, what what has been the content relating to that? What's that, sorry? 
So what has been the content relating to that? I've just seen some things on Twitter or Mm. on social media where people have been posting photos of themselves and their friends in various um, environments which obviously aren't gang-related or Uh crime-related and then adding a hashtag African gangs to that. That's what I've seen. So do you think that's positive or do you think it's sort of drawing more attention to something which we shouldn't be kind of drawing more attention to? Um. I think in that context, it is quite interesting as, as when you step back and look at it, it can have that reverse psychology effect. So it seems that, you know, people are showing, they're, they're taking on this narrative of African gangs because it seems like it's here to stay. It's very sticky. And um, they've basically taken it on and they're showing that they can change the definition of this. So it is quite clever, in my opinion, um, because it sort of places uh, these African youth with that, you know, a type of label and they're changing the definition of it, they're changing the look of it. Um, it's good in the sense that they're owning it to a degree and uh, because the media has very much gifted it to them and they want to define it the way they are. So it does show that ownership within youth and it, it has been trending, which is lovely. Um, it does make a mockery somewhat of the label, which is quite effective as well because a humour does seem to get through a lot of these pundits. So I think it is a, a quite a creative way to tackle it. It can sometimes be counter-effective in the sense that um, it can sort of allow those labels to then be, you know, okay to talk about. Um, you know, you see the whole Muslim terrorist thing happen on quite a lot as well. People have made jokes out of that. But it sometimes does, you know, turn back on them. So I guess it is a gamble in that sense. But um, the fact that they are getting empowered from changing the narrative is something positive. And um, another interesting uh, thing that's happened, I think, is how Victoria Police have sort of done a full 360 degrees and are suddenly saying that it isn't an issue at all or that they don't exist. Gangs aren't, don't exist in the African youth community. So what's your opinion on that and um, why you think that sort of huge change in rhetoric has occurred? Mm, that's, um, that's very interesting. I definitely agree with what Victoria Police is saying. I understand that they need to come out with such a, a strong, headstrong focus like that because it is just such a wrong statistic. So um, if I can go through with you really quickly, we we're looking at uh, the worst riot in Victoria in recent history, which was in March 2010, and that's when 5,000 people smashed windows, they threw flares at police cars, um, you know, there was like $40,000 in damage, um, and ethnicity was not mentioned in any case to the media, and that's because it was overwhelmingly Caucasian youth, and obviously it was a gang of Caucasian youth that got together and um, made sure that that protest occurred. Um, also, like just in November uh, 2017, there was a wild brawl that broke out in Gippsland. Again, like a woman was hit, king hit, um, a man was almost killed, four people hospitalised. Again, a Caucasian gang was not mentioned in the media. So um, it does happen quite a lot with, you know, different types of gangs. But the thing is, Caucasian gangs get that exception and they're not placed together. So if a very small portion of African people do, you know, um, engage in, in crime and they are associated with one another, that gang label is just slapped onto them. So I think by Victoria Police just slamming that down, it does in a sense help us bring it back to the statistics and realise that, if we want to, if we want to label people as gangs, we will do that openly to all ethnicities, but we don't. You sound a little bit less cynical than perhaps I do, because I guess that sort of huge um, step back, I wonder, is more a response to the 
um, federal criticism from in, from the immigration minister and um, about how Victoria's sort of crime rates out of control and whether or not they're trying to respond to that in a way which they think will be, you know, useful for the upcoming election this year. Yeah, it possibly could be. Um, and that would, I guess, read into the intentions of, you know, Victoria Police. Mm. Uh, but I think that that would be quite a, a hidden or indirect intention, I think, at the moment, given how much discrimination and unfair coverage this particular ethnicity is receiving. A comment like that from Victoria Police does help bring it back to reality that there really are no you know, particular gangs that Melbourne has to be so afraid of that it can't come out of its little huts and eat at restaurants. <laughs> Yeah, well, they've just copped so much flack from people yeah. that aren't even living or experiencing any of this in Victoria, and I wonder if exactly. it's a bit of a reaction to that. Um, exactly. Perhaps what, uh, I'll throw over to Greg, and we might sort of, we've only got a couple more minutes, but yeah. perhaps mm-hmm. we can talk about some um, of the ways people can get involved or things like that. Yeah, yeah. so I, I guess, Sajda, um, do you have any views um, with the little time we've got left on uh, what you would like to see changed? Yeah, sure, Greg. Um, when it comes to change, I think it, they, we do have like specific things that we have in mind. So we see the fact that you know when it comes to media, change is quite far-fetched in that sense. I mean, we can't stop the Daily Mail from reporting the shit that it reports, my, my language. Um, but we can, I guess, push for more um, constructed, more researched media. I would love to see mainstream media give less attention and platform to, like you said, a white nationalist supreme leader and more to people um, that have studied in these topics, to researchers, people that actually have that knowledge. Um, In terms of what we can do as as citizens, it's very important, the narrative we use. I think a lot of change starts at home. I really couldn't emphasize that more. So when we sit in our groups of friends and family and, you know, people start talking about this, and it happens in my own, I'll admit to that, um, a lot of, you know, elders can throw around these terms and sort of succumb to that same racism. Uh, It's really important to stop that, to change the narrative, and I I feel like word very much spreads like that, and a lot of people's misconceptions get cut like that. And for people that want to get more involved, if I'm to Kenton Legal Centre um, is always looking for people to help out in that sense um, when it comes to protests, when it comes to, um, you know, I guess fighting uh, racism, racial profiling and things like that. Within Victoria Police, we've done a lot of research and we're pushing for um, uh, a system of stop and search receding. So uh, all this, um, you know, African gang talk, it does lead to a lot of African youth being stopped and searched constantly and being harassed by police. And that really breaks up the social cohesion. So mm-hmm. we want receipts being sent out. So where police actually have to write down a reason for stopping these people and they obviously cannot write because they're black. Yeah. So that's the way to fight unconscious bias within these institutions. And we're hoping for change like that. Yeah, well, that's all That's all very helpful, um, Sajda. Um, so I'll, in terms of those of you who are listening who would like to get in contact with Flemington Kensington uh, Legal, their number is 9376 4355. Um, for those of you who uh, may want some advice or support, if you're experiencing discrimination, um, you can contact the Federation of Community Legal Centres on 96521500 or Victoria Legal Aid on 1300 792 387. Uh, Sejda, it's been such a pleasure having you with us today. Thanks for taking the time out to discuss what is clearly um, such an important issue.